Coming up this week, off screen. We go Radio Gaga for Bohemian Rhapsody. Brace ourselves for the hate you give. Meet the guilty. Face a possum. Get a bad reputation. And get waiting for you. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I'm Kelly Needham. So, Ms. Needham, it's another fun filmic week. <laughs> There's been films. There's been a week. It's a filmic week. There we are. I like it. So, uh, before we get to uh, the news, the reviews, box office top five, all the fun we have each mm-hmm, and every week, mm-hmm. uh, for 158 weeks this week. This is the 158th episode of the show. Don't you wish I'd been there for more of a... Of course I do. I always have. You've been with me so long. Um, <laughs> so before we get to all of that, then we need a piece of film news to start us off then for this week. So, roll the dice. What do you got for me? I've got a sad one. Well, actually, it depends who you ask. Okay. Um, but this James... involves DC, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it doesn't, actually. <laughs> okay. Then it would be a really sad one. Uh, James DeMonaco, who's the creator of the Purge franchise, yeah. he has said that the fifth Purge is going to be the franchise's last mm. is it though because to be really honest we kind of thought election year was going to be the last i think it probably should have been i enjoyed the first purge mm. but i felt like it was a completely different movie franchise the reasoning for that does seem to be sort of uh, uh what do you call it a uh, vertical vertical integration yeah so the idea is um that that movie tied in with the series that launched on the sci-fi channel i think or, or, yeah, I know, well, I know it's Amazon. On Amazon have it in this country. Yeah. Is it Sci-Fi Channel Make or USA Network make it, sorry, right. in, in the US. And they're very tonally similar. Yeah. So it does seem like the timing as well was that the first purge was designed to set up selling this series as an ongoing sort of Agents of Shield. As it, it was just too serious for my liking. <laughs> I like the was purge. Was it not because, fun enough? <laughs> no, well, I like the purge. I don't like the first one actually. Not as in the first purge, is it? Mm. You don't the like the purge. original purge. The original purge, because uh, that's kind of boring. But I love you mean the Panic second. Room Purge. Yeah, Panic Room Purge, yeah. kind of boring. But I love the second one. I love Election Year as well, because mm. they're just ridiculous. Well, yeah, they are, aren't they? And Frank Grillo, someone like yeah, that exactly. caliber, that just makes it more fun. Exactly. And everybody who's cast in those movies as well is exactly of the right tone and stature to, to, to sell those movies. They're like exactly right. Like Mikkel T. Williamson yes. is exactly the kind of actor who's like a prestige actor for that series. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. And Frank Grillo obviously is basically your sort of, your Statham of that series. He <laughs> was wonderful. Truly was. wonderful. But so the last one though. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. The last yeah. one. So I don't know that many details about what this last one's going to be. And because obviously hmm. the last one was a prequel. The last one was a prequel because the one before it was the ending. Yeah. So I don't know. Or yeah. was it? Because it kind of, you know, it left it open, didn't it? Let's be fair. Well, I mean, they could come out with a fifth one that then takes it to the future ends, like after the it, it, ending. Exactly. And there's a Donald Trump-like figure who has then gotten in power and restarted the purge. Yeah, um, or it didn't quite end because of yeah. know, the uprising of the whoever's left. Yeah, it'd be, the like, the, it'd be like the, the Halloween or... excuse. Oh, the ending just changed ten minutes after the movie ended. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly like that. So, yeah, yeah I go with yeah. that. 
I don't know. Um, I don't think uh, James DeMonaco knows what it's going to be about yet either. <laughs> from looking at the news. Um, but yeah, I make it a good one. Make it fun again. Yeah. Make America fun again. <laughs> make America fun again. Less serious. I mean, I get the message from the first purge, but don't try and educate me. But, well, yeah, I think like four mo- four movies down, you know, I think we're, we're about it's as educated late. as we're going to get on that, really. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we get to uh, the first review of the week, which I'm really looking forward to, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, we need to plug podcast edition. So yes. extended, expanded version of this show, uh, which is just to say there's more stuff after the end credits. Yeah. yeah. More you, more me. Uh, more Nicolas Cage more Nicolas Cage exactly yeah and film news and reviews that we can't fit into the actual radio edit which this week I believe is the uh, Colin Murray starring uh, French drama French set drama Waiting for You Mm. which uh, yeah if you want to find our opinion on that you're going to have to uh, stick around in podcast land afterwards so uh, (laughs) right in the meanwhile uh, don't forget if you can identify all three of our idents that we play through this show through this episode uh just tweet us what you think they all are at movie marker and just put like hashtag off screen idents or off screen on the end and we'll we'll get the message we'll find it um, if you get all three right uh, winner will be picked at random and you will win a random DVD I do say a random DVD um, I mean it, it could be Drop Dead Fred it could Ooh. be it could be Snowpiercer. Uh, I have a nephew now, so it could be a child's DVD. It could be like Fireman Sam in a couple of years. You don't, we don't know. Get with it, Paw Patrol. Is that what they watch now? Yeah. I don't understand. Right, Paw Patrol. I'll get into this in the podcast extras. Yeah, but, we'll, but we'll honestly, cover that. humans exist in the same world as these criminals, uh, crime solving, crime solving emergency services dogs. Yeah. How do they determine who has jurisdiction over what kind of crimes? Um, if a human and a dog are found murdered, which police squad investigates that? Is it the well, human? If you what watched Paw Patrol? Patrol, then you would know the answer to that question. Well, I don't. And <laughs> I have to wait now because he's a newborn. Right? We'll so, get back to it. We'll, we'll get back to Paw Patrol. See all that um, to look forward to if you download the podcast. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> and, and the best part is it's on Spotify now as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I actually had to check the feed that I did wind up listening to like five minutes of it. And I did think, oh, Kelly sounds cute on the radio. Um, uh, also, Apple Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, Deezer, Deezer TuneIn, pick your, po- pick, pick your Poison or podcast platform of preference. That was too much. Too, too many much. peas. Too many peas. Too many peas. Okay, so first review of the week. Let's talk then about the hate you give. Yes, I'm looking right. forward to this. Um, I remember I invited you along to this. I know. And I you were unable go. to attend. Yeah. And I, I didn't. I was busy afterwards. I had to drive uh, I had to drive the entire length of the A1 afterwards. So I didn't get the chance to text you mm-hmm. and say, boy, did you miss out on something. I know. Well, I knew I would. <laughs> Let's be fair. Right. So um, the hate you give, which takes its name from uh, the anagram thug. And as in thug life, ah. the hate you give, uh, little infants f's everyone. We are told now that is a line from, of course, Tupac Shakur. Sure. And yeah, and this is uh, this is a movie that literally opens with a a pair of, uh, in fact, three young black children sat around a dinner table mm-hmm. with their parents and being told this is the reality of being black in America. And it's a really powerful... Did you ever see the, the Blackish episode that was went along similar lines? It was the family gathered around the TV yeah. for the episode. Yeah. And Anthony Anderson made the impassioned speech at yeah. the end. That is literally the opening of this movie. Okay. So this is the movie that says, 
this is a new part, uh, a, a new, a newly acknowledged part in the mainstream of the black experience in America. This is the reality you have to, to have to accept. Also, here's the guiding tenets of the Black Panther Party. Please learn them. That is your new religion. Flash forward, mm. and a a ten year old girl from that moment is now Amanda Stenberg. Love her from everything, everything. And, uh, Hunger Games, come on. And, and, and she's Rue. She's Rue. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I remember she's Rue more than I remember the movie is called Hunger Games. Mm, yeah. Um, so this uh, then is directed by uh, George Tillman Jr. It is uh, adapted from a quite popular YA novel. And mm-hmm. Amanda Stenberg is a teenage girl who, although she lives in a relatively poor, economically destitute uh, area, heavily, uh, heavily drug-ridden, heavily crime-ridden, African-American suburb, mm-hmm. she is shipped along with her, y- her slightly younger brother to a posh private school like half an hour down the road every day. And the idea is that she's living effectively a double life. Yeah. When she is home, she's star. You know, she's star at home. Her name is star, by the way. Uh, uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> at home, and she, you know, she ha- deals deals with a completely different class of person yeah. than she does when she is at school. And all of a sudden, she's wearing the latest Nike kicks and that she happens to preserve because obviously she can't just afford new ones. She's just very good at preserving shoes. Uh, um, you'd understand, given your domestic situation, the care she was require. <laughs> um, <laughs> Called John and his sneakers. Anyway. He loves them. He loves them. Um, and then she's at school and she's, she's relatively posh. One day, her childhood best friend slash semi-love interest in her home life mm-hmm. is shot indiscriminately by a paranoid, more than a little racist white police officer in front of her, and she is the sole Ugh. witness. What then follows is an experience whereby her name starts to filter out in stages. There are rumours at first, she's anonymous for a little while, then it starts to come out more and more, and the more it becomes known that she is this witness, the more different factions within the community start to gather around her, all for various different intents. So you have the local crime lord, for instance, played by Anne Anthony Mackie, who would would really rather she just forgot the whole thing. Mm. There's the police who want to silence her because to protect one of their own. There's her mum who would rather she said nothing to protect her anonymity, to protect her her life and her safety. And there's her father who is the former lieutenant of the local crime lord, played by, I want to play it, say Russell Hornsby. I always get his surname wrong. I always say Hornby. Russell Hornsby, he's from I've Grimm. No he's from the, that series uh, Grimm, the fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. He's the sidekick, the, the cop's partner. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I know him. what you mean. Yeah. Uh, he is Star's dad, and he is, I, I, I was the opening of the film, we'll paint it out to you. Um, very, uh, very proud of his, his African roots, as he tells the kids at the beginning never, uh, never forget you are descended from kings. Nice. And so he would rather she used her voice to change the world. And here is a clip of him saying, more or less, exactly that. The hate you give little infants. Yes, everybody. I know what it stands for. What do you think it means? I think it's about us. Us who? Black people. Poor people, everybody at the bottom. Right, you want it? Pac was trying to school us on how the system's designed against us. Why else you think so many people in our neighborhood deal? They need the money. Yeah. And ain't no real jobs around here. 
So they fall into the trap. So Russell Hornsby there with uh, Amanda Stenberg. Mm-hmm. And so, so this comes to us from George Tolman Jr., who um, I always remember as being the director of Notorious, um, which for me actually is Notorious for being one of the worst biopics I've ever seen. It was terrible. It was I went really to the bad. cinema to see it and regretted it. Wow. Even I didn't go to the cinema. I watched it on DVD. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm very happy to say he has significantly upped his game since then. Oh, uh, what you've got here is something of a curious... Uh, a curious Frankenstein of different concepts. So on the one hand, you have the cookie-cutter YA adaptation. Mm -hmm. You have The Fault in Our Stars, the slightly weepy variation on it. And then you have... I want to say something like the like the familial uh, the, the familial investability of Blackish, for mm-hmm. instance, but played more dramatically and without the comedy. Not that there isn't comedy; there is actually a fair few laughs in here. Yeah, uh, but obviously this is more of a drama. But that episode of Blackish literally is the opening scene. It's probably this. one of the more serious episodes of Blackish. It was as well, yeah, and this plays a lot of it like that. Yeah. And I loved it. I thought it was terrific. I sat there. I mean, it's slightly overlong. It is a little bit overlong. It clocks in at two and a quarter hours. And you do feel... And the weird part is, even though it feels like the film is slightly baggy at times... When you go back to it in your head, you can't quite isolate where it was baggy. Mm. There's nothing you would actually trim. You can't look at it and think to yourself, okay. It pulls that same trick as Halloween did recently as well. Mm -hmm. In using... In, for its ultimate moment, its ultimate concluding plot movement, uh, something that is quite contrived in relation to the tone of the rest of the film. Okay. Right. Hokey would be a term, or cheesy, if you want something like that, or, or slightly silly, even. Okay. I'm, I'm giving you an example. I of mean, a, if I'm it giving, comes from yeah. YA, let's be fair, they've done well to this just is be not, a little bit cheesy. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little bit on the nose. It's a little bit, wow, okay, you went there. Mm. Yeah, okay, you could have you stumbled towards this, but no, you ran right in. Okay, mm. fair, fair. Uh, it works, the, though. Are the reshoots obvious? In, in the hate you give? Yeah. No, I mean, I, to be honest with you, this is the first time hearing of reshoots. But oh, was it reshot? So you know the the guy that plays her boyfriend? He, she, she has a white boyfriend, and is it AJ? Yes, something? it is. Hang on, hang on. It's on my it's on my little sheet here, because I thought he was Archie for most of this. Is it KJ Apper? KJ like? Apper, that's it. Yeah, he mm. is. He's from Riverdale. Oh, he's Archie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, that character was... The film was filmed with somebody else playing that part. Okay. A, a YouTube star or something. I really can't remember his name. Okay. Um, after they'd finished filming, I think... I presume they were kind of in in post. Mm. Um, some old racist videos oh, surfaced of him. You couldn't associate, and it was like that. We have no choice. We yeah. absolutely have to. So all of the scenes that are with the boyfriend, the white boyfriend in them, mm. those are all reshoots. They. I will say one thing. I did notice with his character, mm. there is a bit of a strain at mm. times with. Just how believable he because he's a very very. T- I'm saying I'm saying tolerant only in that she's a pain in the ass. I don't mean sort of right. tolerant racially. Um, he, she's kind of a pain in the ass to him, yeah. and his character is very abstractly tolerant, like mm. beyond the realm of what you would assume to be reasonable human behaviour. Right. Like I think at one point he seems to go on for about three months that she's just. Uh, I, it rhymes with brick um, to him, and and I think yeah. I might know what you mean. 
Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it does seem a bit odd. So you know, when you point that out to me, it makes sense. Right. Like now it makes sense when you point it out to me. But uh, watching the film, I just thought, okay, maybe he's just not quite on this level yet. Maybe mm. he's a TV actor. Mm-hmm. You know, using the old definition, he is just a TV actor. Nowadays means something entirely different. But, True that. Yeah. Um, I, I had a really good time with this. I thought this was a really, not to say have a good time, I just, I, I loved the hell out of it. Yeah. And it was a film that made me feel about it in terms of enjoying the actual film itself and also feeling like I have watched something that genuinely had something to say mm-hmm. the last time I think I felt like that was Pride oh. uh, which was three four years ago oh god yeah yeah, and that film will destroy you inside. I, yeah, I still can't watch that film again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit of a moving one. That one. Yeah. This uh, does have a similar effect at times. This this does uh, this does give you the feels. Aww. This does. And Amanda Stenberg is just she's terrific in it. She really is. And uh, yeah, I mean, go see it then. Huh? Go see it. Go see this. I I thought it was terrific. Uh, hopefully, you will too. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Ms. Needham. So, where are we headed next? I want you to talk to me about a possum. About a possum? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, even though I know we're reviewing it, I just didn't expect to hear the word possum. So, possum. Okay, so possum, which I'll be honest with you, I knew about largely because of the poster. I'm trying to find an image of the poster for you because it's a very creepy Yeah, and I really wanted to it. see this. And yeah, you would assume something a lot broader than what you actually get with possum. What on earth is that? I'm not quite sure what I've just seen. Mm, it looks like something from The Thing. <laughs> yeah, like when, when, the, when the head, severed head, yeah, sprouts yeah, yeah. the legs. In yes. The, Kind of similar, actually. Although, I think it's kind of stop motion, actually. In this. Anyway, so um, this is the story of a children's puppeteer, played by Sean Harris. Remember Sean Harris? He was the bad guy in two Mission Impossible movies. Uh, maybe a for sure. The last two. Yeah. Oh, then yes. Then yes. Oh, the weird guy, yeah. The, the weird guy, What Mr. was his accent? Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, right, <laughs> so he's Brosnan, um, <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> he returns to uh, his childhood home mm-hmm. and encounters... Well, actually, he returns to the, the, the homestead, encounters his sort... say his stepdad, his, his uncle... Or, it's kind of surrogate. Never cl- clearly sketchily defined. I think he is his uncle, who has effectively served as his father all those years. All right. Played by Alan Armstrong, who is a nasty piece of work. There is some sort of trauma in the relationship between them going back several years. Uh, we think it's one thing. It is then implied it's another. It is actually something else. It, it, there's a whole bit of intrigue around it. And he also comes across his uh, his former puppet, who seems to have communicative abilities and mm-hmm. seems to be involved with a recent spate of disappearances and murders. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here's a clip that will tell you roughly how the tone of this film works. Mother, father, what's afoot? Only possum black as soot. Mother, father, where to tread? Far from possum and his head. Here's a bag, now what's inside? Does he seek or does he hide? Can you spy him deep within? Little possum, black as sin. Police are widening their search for missing teenager Michael Browning, who disappeared on his way home from school. At Navarre, I recall. 
find him. So it's not quite the most mainstream. Uh, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's entirely possible to get through. Because I think I was about half an hour into it before I, I reached the stage of what 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 actually is going on here? Oh. <laughs> I, 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 are we really just sticking with this? This is not. This is not going above this this baseline level. Okay, um, it comes to us, and it's written and directed by uh, Matthew Holners, who is a part of that team that brought Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. No idea. Two years back, very. He's, he's something of a cult figure. He's like one of those people who's involved with Matt Berry and Toast of London and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit, a bit of the on the outskirts of the mighty Boosh click in the next sort of level of surreal bubble. Right, okay. uh, right. So this is, I would say, I mean, it's a well acted film. It's a well realized film, as in it does have a very distinct look, a very distinct tone. It doesn't compromise on that tone. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, last week when we talked about an evening with Beverly Loughlin. Yeah, and I just thought I hated this film, but it was so absolutely devout in its convictions that and its sensibilities that I had to respect it. This is a film that has a similar has a similar thing going for it. I would say if you were someone who was into the the really surreal uh, comedic works of things like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and the Mighty Boosh and stuff like that, mm-hmm. this actually might be your Babadook. Oh, okay. And there is something of that Babadook. I thought vibe. the Babadook was that the Babadook for those. People. <laughs> <laughs> that again is not for everyone, but I think we all again you, you have to respect the Babadook because of just how well it's made yeah, and just how, kind of how well it's realised and even how instantly iconic that creature became. Mm-hmm. Um, the possum in this case, which is the the puppet. Um, that, that I don't think is going to be quite as remembered, mm. but it's one of those that when you see it, when you see an image of it in years to come, you'll say, oh, I remember that movie now. Yeah, the Sean Harris thing. Yeah, okay, I remember. You won't remember what it was called, but you'll remember it as that Sean Harris thing. I don't know, Possum's pretty... Uh, <laughs> I'm still not sure why it's called Possum. I it know is, the guy said Possum in the clip, but... It's just weird to me to hear British people say the word Possum. <laughs> well, how should it be said? Well, you know, I just never hear... Possum. I never hear English people say Possum. Well, I don't really know because what Possum really is. Because we don't really get Possums in... Kind Do of they like, eat snakes or something? Kind of like a... Yeah, no, is that Like a, a weasel? I, I don't know, actually. I've always thought of them as sort of like badgers. Oh, maybe they are. Yeah, kind of like oh, like badgers. ugly badgers. Yeah, yeah, like ugly badgers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. As opposed sure. to the, the rock stars we're used to. <laughs> okay, so some film news before we get to the top five then. Yes. What we got? What do you, what do you want to run with? Um. So the the folks that wrote Deadpool, uh, so oh, Rhett Reese, Paul Wernick. Yeah, they also wrote Life. At Life, yeah, yes, that, indeed. That, also Ryan Reynolds. Also Ryan Reynolds. Oh, and uh, Zombieland. And Zombieland, we yes, they did. Forget, yes. We should never forget. Never forget. Never well, forget unfortunately, long. they're in discussions with Disney and they may be writing the re- well, it could work, I guess, the uh, the reboot of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, oh. Uh, did it, is it time to reboot? Should- I don't know about you, but I've, I've personally, I've thought the last two years were, were really long. And I, I personally <laughs> have found that, that that gap in my life has, has yet to be filled with anything that can come close to the, uh, the density and the weight of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise and what it narratively and emotionally means to me as a person. God, yeah. I hate those movies. Please don't make any more. Please, God, no. <laughs> They should have stuck, like, the first one was great, the second one was kind of cool, and then stop. Really? My, my ranking of the Pirates of the Caribbean series goes as followed. Mm. At number one, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yep. At number two, 
every other Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> they all suck they after do. the first one. But I think Black Pearl, is it? No, Black Pearl's the first one, Black right? Black Pearl's the first and one, Dead Man's the Chest one? is the second. Dead Man's Chest. That one just scrapes above mm. the rest of the garbage for me. No, I can never get past the idea that Jack Sparrow went from being sort of a comic foil to outwardly duplicitous. Yeah. Which is a bit of a, yeah. Was it the last one, the Dead Men Tell No Tales, where it's that, got that ridiculous... Ridiculous scene where they're they're stealing from a bank, like they steal. Yes, a bank yeah. Ball. They, they when they do the the Fast Five bit. Yeah, yeah, because that's from Fast Five. But it's like I think you must have said this before, where where Johnny Depp, like his character now, is like he happens to fall, but he bounces off something and ends up standing up, as opposed to actually being someone who is smart yeah. but just a drunk. Exactly and that. It's just yeah. Like, ugh. Well, the first movie depicts him as being an effortless parkour artist. Exactly. Um, albeit with a sort of drunken fumble. A drunken and fumble. I'm the fine with that. M- rest of them pretty much depict him as Johnny English. So. Speaking of, oh, should, top we, five. should we talk about the top five? Let's, let's talk about the top five, because I think we know that'll be in there. <laughs> Number five. Venom. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> I kept my promise. Did you see it? I saw Venom. Oh, God, what did you think? We have to talk in podcast extra. Okay, yeah, we'll talk. We'll because, talk. my God. Yeah, I know, right? I genuinely thought, for probably about the first half, mm. no, this is fine. Like, uh, it's not good, but it's fine. <laughs> and then something happened, which I don't want to talk about for spoiler reasons. It's the wood scene, isn't it? It's the wood scene. It's the wood scene, yep. Yeah, I know exactly and what more, but It's the wood scene. We're just... Ah. I, yeah. On my home planet. That bit. Oh, I'm kind of a loser. Oh, God, I can't deal with it. Even just thinking about it is making my blood boil. It's a really terrible movie, isn't it? It's terrible. In fact, that's the thing, though. It's not offensively bad, and you kind of want it to be offensively bad, so that you can at least enjoy it. That bit was offensively it. bad. Um, well, I wasn't a fan at all. Uh, didn't care for it. Uh... I've seen Catwoman. I didn't need to see it done again. <laughs> and what's really annoying is if you're going to do Catwoman again, at least make it worse than Catwoman. Yeah. This is actually like 5% better than Catwoman. So Maybe just. Yeah, which is, that's unfair. Don't, and that's only because the first half's kind of all right-ish. Uh, I liked Venom and Eddie. That, that, that relationship kind of works. But only because, so. only because it's laugh-out-loud silly. No, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it is like Tom Hardy's version of The Mask. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, has anybody tweeted us? And I'm guessing they all love it. Uh, so, Movalish with some lips, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is actually at Tilshar. Okay. Sure, why not? Says Venom was a good movie. You're wrong. Number four Johnny English. <sighs> Strikes again. Uh, Whatever. I can't even be bothered to say the entire title. Look, I'm sure it'll be big, you know, globally when it's whatever. dubbed into whatever language they want to send it in because basically Mr. Bean sells overseas. Uh, fine. These films don't cost an awful lot. They make a lot of money. They make Rowan Atkinson happy. And frankly, I enjoyed the bla- the last three Blackadder series just enough to basically want Rowan Atkinson to be happy forever. So, yeah, I'll put up with it. I don't have to like it, though. Can't they just do a Brigsby Bear on him? <laughs> <laughs> would be amazing. Just pretend that they're filming something for people. Oh, it's on the sky. Isn't it it the is. Hell, you'd seen Brigsby Bear? No, I saw it ages ago. I saw it and it came mm. out. Oh, okay. Because same... I, is it because I hyped it so much? Yeah. yeah. At the same time as uh, the Christmas movie that was really awesome. What was it called? The horror. Oh, better watch out. Better watch yeah, out. Yeah. So they were the same week. Yes. They were, yeah, because they yeah, were two see? key titles. Okay, so uh, John English, I haven't seen it. I don't know why they're doing it, but uh, has anyone tweeted about it? 
Yes, yeah, so uh, at my shown, don't know. Michonne? Uh, Michonne, well, Michonne it's like my... No, well, it's my with a capital M and then shown with a capital S. I feel like we're getting diverted. Anyway, mm. well, because it's better than the tweet. No. Just watch Johnny English. Recommend it on meh way home now with the kind of crying laughing face. I don't know. Number three. Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. So it's another Jumanji-ish movie. It's what you want. It is pretty fun. And, yeah, I had a good time with it, you know. I sort of laughed, whooped, you know. I enjoyed some of the, 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 the juvenile barbs in it, and I mm-hmm. like... I'm always a big fan of, like, Halloween creatures coming to life. I didn't realise, by the way, until I saw a clip of this the uh-huh. other day on TV, that uh, I had said, and obviously this does actually happen in the film, I had said that there's a lot more of uh, real objects becoming Goosebumps creatures in yeah. this. Uh, I hadn't considered that what sets that up is he's actually sat around Goosebumps toys and Halloween costumes. Uh, Those are what he makes come to life. So they actually are Goosebumps characters. Got it. And then obviously there are things like uh, gummy bears and stuff like that. Oh, cute. But uh, yeah, evil gummy bears. Nom, nom, nom. But uh, I tell you, if I've got to go, that's how I want to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, there's great, there's a great cast in there. So Madison Iceman, uh, Khalil Harris, Jeremy Ray Taylor, uh, Ken Jeong, a lot of fun. Wendy McClendon-Covey, a requisite mum figure in these things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, her, her squeals are at least, you know, individual, I guess. Sure. Her squeals sound noticeably different than Gillian Bell's squeals Ugh. sounded in the last one. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Chris Parnell's in it, which automatically gets another star on the rating from me because... Definitely. Yeah, yeah who doesn't love Chris Parnell? Uh, so, yeah, I'm a big fan. Has anyone tweeted? Well, we're, we're in luck because Kuhaj Dagod has tweeted. Nice. Uh, and he, I think it's a he, uh, says, I took the kids to see hashtag... Goosebumps 2 movie this mm-hmm. past weekend. I must say, it was pretty good. Excellent. Number 2. Halloween. Loved it. Loved it. It's not an amazing film. It's like a three-star film. I had a four-star time. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's that. That's it, really. I mean, I think... That is what you want, though, to be fair. All these reboots have been absolute... Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Jamie Lee Curtis becoming the new Sarah Connor. Fine with that. Because she kind of started this whole thing anyway. So, yeah. Hmm. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really well shot. I thought uh, I thought it, it captured the tone and everything we loved about the original Halloween 40 years ago this year. God, uh, I'm looking forward, I know. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. And, uh, I'll go with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this again. And uh, I believe that the 4K restoration of Halloween, the first one, is actually showing as well. Yes, So you might be able to double bill that somewhere. Sweet. Has anybody tweeted? At I am fur says yeah. hashtag Halloween movie and then they have an actual Michael Myers emoji. That's auto generated. How have they done that? Yeah. Was decent enough, but dot dot dot. When Michael is finally let loose, it all gets a little too convenient. Well, uh, if if escape murderers you are something you find convenient, okay, I'm just I'm not even going there. <laughs> Number one, Star is Born. Yep. Wow. I've got the tissues out. Yeah, it's it is that film, isn't it? It's it's one of those that I think it, it is this year's pick for that movie that everyone's it, everyone immediately follows up the answer of "Have you seen it?" with "Did you cry?" Yeah, um, and if you didn't, you're dead inside. Yeah, yeah, I kind of go. That with goes that. straight out to John and my friend Freddie. Really? Because they did not cry. Your boy didn't cry. John, he did not John's cry. eyes don't open wide enough for him to cry. They do. 
They really? do, and he's just dead inside. <laughs> but Katie and I, who I saw it with, we weeped. We weeped. We weeped. We good. weeped. Uh, I thought it was terrific. I thought this is a career best of Bradley Cooper. I think Lady Gaga clearly can hold a film performance. She can. She, I wasn't she can expecting clearly carry it. a film. Um, I thought Sam Elliott was heartbreaking. Oh, wasn't he just? Oh, God. Bobby! So heartbreaking, um, and I really loved the music. I loved uh, the way I loved the way it was captured. I love um, the tone of it. I love the feel of it. I thought it was just a genuinely brilliant film. I wish that Bradley Cooper's band was a real band. Like, it was awesome <laughs> music. They really were. Weren't it's they? Quite black that keys. Opening performance <gasps> when it's, it's just amazing. him. Also, that is a terrific performance. So and good. The the first performance where he sort of coaxes her on the stage. Yeah. That is that's a star making. But that's the moment you come and go. This is something we're going to be remembering on the end of year highlight reels clearly and yeah it's so good that you you kind of forget that bradley cooper is bradley cooper yes you do yes you do what is it? it's because he's lowered his voice this few octaves and he looks rough let's be fair and he's not not like shampooed that hair for <laughs> at least three days why is it always greasy it is really greasy isn't it <laughs> it's always like how greasy. does it say so consistently greasy it uh. doesn't get it doesn't get better or worse mm. it just seems to stay like he has that specific level of grease yeah. no more no less we're getting off topic has anyone tweeted about <laughs> a star is born well ed has tweeted us so at ed sleeman uh he says went to see hashtag a star is born movie today no you cried three maybe four times with the latest film news and reviews this is off screen the movie marker radio show and podcast And we're back, Ms. Needham. So, uh, we've got a documentary to talk about next. Yeah, I've heard it's got a really bad reputation. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just point out, you know when I do that, I'm doing Ken Jeong. Yes, I know. Yeah. yeah, There's no one else on Earth. Oh, no, you did. Oh, yeah, you did. (laughs) Um, Do you have any idea how many times we watch, how often we watch The Duff at my house? I watch it all the time, don't worry. So, uh, Bad Reputation, which is a documentary about Joan Jett. Oh, of course. And uh, it's, well, it's the story of basically the the rise and well kind of god goddess of rockhood i guess of joan jett mm-hmm. um here's a clip when i was 13 i asked my parents for a guitar for christmas and then i went and took a lesson and the guy said girls don't play rock and roll and i said I was growing up in the 70s in Hollywood. I wanted to form an all-girl band, The Runaways. Those are badass rock songs. Joan Jett didn't want to be Joni Mitchell. Joan wanted to rock. I didn't think it would be such a big deal for a girl to play rock and roll, but... Rolling Stone hated the Runaways. You and I obviously were singing along during that clip because that's what you do when you hear those songs. Uh, obviously, Joan Jett is one of the most iconic rockers ever. Yeah, um, pretty up there. Yeah, and and the film absolutely wants you to know that, and rightly so. You would not believe the roster of talent they whipped out for this. Go on. Uh, 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 Billy Joe Armstrong from uh, Green, Green Day, Day uh, Dave Grohl, Iggy Pop, 
Blondie. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's insane. There's just this roster of talent that just comes pouring out from not so much just rock either. Mm-hmm. There's there are people from pop. There's people from soul. There's a lot of different fields of artists who basically come out and say it, it's a travesty actually that Joan Jett is not more highly regarded. You could mm. go from the Runaways to then go to the Black Hearts and to to basically have the career that she's had and to have made the impact that she did. And especially when you look at where she fell on the timeline and the acts that come after that. Because without Joan Jett, you don't really get Madonna. No. You don't effectively wind up getting your Britney Spears and your Katy Perry's decade late, get decades later as well. And probably your Gargars to a certain extent. And to a certain extent as well. This is a conversation we're going to wind up having again in 10 minutes, by the way. So just, uh, just <laughs> Save <one>. it. <laughs> we're going to wind up having this exact conversation again when we start talking about Mr. Mercury. Anyway, um, it's a great... It's a really insightful, great, rocking documentary. Is it like a talking head type? It is a talking head type. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing for me with it is it's it's one of those documentaries that understands that you can absolutely know everything there is to know in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you will, if you're a fan, you will have pulled everything that's in this elsewhere from 50 different sources. They're very aware that their big selling point is just... This is all it all in one place. Right. This is the complete. And we've got some famous people. Yeah, and we about and it. we've got some great stuff. But what they've really excelled in is in actually uh, working with Joan Jett herself mm-hmm. and going through the archival materials of Joan Jett. And what they've done is they've painted a really vivid and insightful portrait of the woman herself. Mm-hmm. And actually watching her evolve on screen with access to her complete life is actually something really interesting. Mm. Having said that, if you already know all of the stuff outside of the sort of relatively new imagery, you're still going to find it, you know, an entertaining time. There's a, Obviously, there's a great soundtrack. There kind of has to be. Yeah. Uh, pretty much every Rocky you've ever loved is in this movie. And you do come away from it toe-tapping, just thinking, I had a great time with it. I had fun. No one in it was particularly bleak. Even when they were talking about dark times, they yeah. did it with... Just that brilliantly fu rock attitude, nice. and as you hear in the clips, like oh well, Rolling Stone didn't like the Runaways, so we said screw the Rolling Stone, <laughs> carried on anyway. <laughs> and I love that about it. I, it. The film has the attitude of Joan Jett herself, nice. which is I don't care that you know all this. I'm telling you this now. And I like it. Yeah, I'm in on that. I'm in on that. Obviously, it's not it's not Amy. But well, I was just you know, going to say, often these kinds of documentaries come out after the artist is dead. So the fact that it's got Joan Jett in it. She's, she's still alive. But. Yeah, just to clarify. <laughs> just to clarify. No, but that's what I mean, though. Often they're dead. So it's, yes, it's kind of this true, posthumous yeah. looking back on them. And you, and you always feel like there's a bit of, of kind of sugar coating because the person's dead. Like, oh, yes, you wouldn't oh, believe. You know, let's look at the positive sides. Whereas she's still alive. She can speak for herself. Mm, no, no, that's absolutely true. And believe me, she she really does. She does a lot of speaking for herself. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Lot of speaking for herself. And it's all it's all it's all entertaining as hell, naturally. Sure. So uh before we go move on to the guilty, let's have some film news. What we got, miss? Uh something very exciting. Okay, what is it? Travolta's in a new film. Oh dear lord. And the trailer is out. Have you heard of this film, Speed Kills? No, I have not. Please tell me the plot of Speed Kills. <laughs> I will do my best. So uh, this is based on a book, and I think it's all—it's meant to be based on a true story, as, mm-hmm. as these things often are. So he plays a guy called Ben Aronoff, who is a speedboat racing champion and multi-billionaire, <laughs> as they always are, who leads a double life, and this lands him in a deadly crossfire 
<laughs> between the DEA and the mob. Oh, wow. Okay, that is... This sounds a bit striking distance, doesn't it? There's some real amazing people in it, though. You've got your Matthew Modines in there. Oh, man. You've got your Kellen Lutz in there. No, wait, wait, hang on. we got Modine and Lutz and in the Lutz. same movie. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. You know oh, my, yeah. You know my love of Kellen Lutz. <laughs> I know you do. I love me some Kellen Lutz. Exactly. That man is a treasure. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people in this, but I, I think it looks like it's going to cinemas and video on demand at the same time, so mid-November. <laughs> you know what that means, don't you? That means, in actuality, it gets released in one cinema in central London. Yeah, of course. But because it's on the same day that they're going to launch it on like VOD and DVD, but because it's got that one cinema screening, it means they can have a national press show, which means film critics sort of feel obligated to have to review it. Sure, but if you mm. don't get round to it, all yeah. I'm going to say is Christmas Pajama Party. Yes, yeah, it does sound like one, doesn't it? That's that's what yeah. we should watch. A Christmas on the list. this year. <laughs> but uh, okay, so I need to talk about the guilty uh, yes. really quickly. This is a very tight, lean thriller. Um, this is is it uh, Danish? I just want to check really quickly. It is Danish. Oh my god, I got that in one. Oh, well done. Uh, this stars uh, Jacob Cedergren as a police officer who's who has uh, come back from an administrative uh, reassignment. There's been mm-hmm. an incident in the line of duty. He's not at fault necessarily, but it's the day before his court hearing. Right. In the meanwhile, he has been assigned to work in uh, the police call center. Huh, answering okay. answering the 999 calls and the 911 calls or whatever. Awesome. Right. And he is um he is effective I should point out just before I say this this film is 85 minutes long. Oh, sure. Right, so the idea is it's lean, it's focused, it's fast. Mm-hmm. Even though it's kind of just people in a room talking. It's just like a dude in a room with a computer and a phone. Okay. Talking. So kind of a bit like that Tom Hardy movie Lock. Yeah. Where he was in the Land Rover on the phone the whole time. Uh-huh. And uh, he answers a call um, in which it is basically, it it emerges very quickly that a woman has been kidnapped Mm -hmm. and her children have been left home on their own. He is told, don't get involved, you're the 911 911 call uh, responder. That's Mm -hmm. your job. Mm -hmm. You're not a counsellor and you're not a cop. You're literally there to answer the phone. Sounds True. It, which is exactly true. And, uh, well, I mean... But he can't help himself. He can't right? help himself. And he's only one day away from, not retirement, but... Effectively. <laughs> from, no, from, from uh, he's told, you told you'll sail through it, you'll go back on duty. Uh, <laughs> written and directed by uh, Gustav Moller. It is very tense. It's very gripping. It's it's shot in a in a combination of something very... Uh, sorry, your cat just frightened the hell out of me. <laughs> I can leap about four feet in the air. Um, That's cats for you. It's uh, it, it's shot with a sort of combination of spook style slickness uh-huh. and just creepy claustrophobia in in a sort Ooh. of office like setting. Um, really gripping the performance from Jacob Cedergrad, who I, I look at him and I know him from somewhere. And I've looked through his he looks like John Cena. He does a bit like Ginger John Cena. Ginger John Cena. But uh, and then you look at his actual his actual headshot on IMDb and, and it looks like looks kind of like a sexy Jason Sudeikis. Oh, it really does. This guy's a chameleon. <laughs> who, who do I want to be? Ginger John Cena or sexy Jason Sudeikis? Do you know who he is? He's Guy Pierce. Yes. That guy looks different in every, every, every time angle, I see him. From every angle. Uh, yeah, do see it. It is, uh, say, The Guilty. It's out Friday. Subtitled? Uh, it is subtitled. Well, I say it's Danish. It's subtitled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really something. If you saw the Halle Berry movie, The Call, 
Yeah, well, that's, years the, ago. that's what I was just thinking of. Um, obviously, there's an obvious comparison to make. Yeah, yeah. Incidentally, that movie was produced by WWE Studios, so. I enjoyed it for what it was, I'm yeah. going to be honest. So, it did have ties to John Cena, just put it I out love there. my crap. Um, <laughs> something like that, or Cellular, if you remember that, the Chris yeah. Evans movie. Oh, I don't know. Do you not? Oh, my God. You'll Clearly love need that. to look that up. Oh, oh podcast extras. Uh, in the meanwhile, so The Guilty, out Friday. Absolutely check it out. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. One last ride, Ms. Needham. <laughs> What's it going to be? It's a kind of magic. Uh, so, Bohemian Rhapsody is here. Yay. Uh, have you heard? Did you notice it was coming? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Just a little bit. They've been not so subtle about this movie arriving. I know, and everyone's talking about it. <laughs> this was originally planned as a Christmas release for this year. This, As far as I know, at one time, this was set to come out on Boxing Day. They didn't want to go up against Star Wars. I presume there's a Star Wars. There's not a Star Wars this oh, Christmas. Oh, well. No. Next Christmas there is. Oh, okay. But... No. Um, but um, no, this was this has I think at some point been moved forward, and it was a shame because you just sit and think actually this had come out on Christmas. This actually could have been the big family friendly movie, uh, even though family friendly. Well, actually, I'm going to get to that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get to that because I've got gripes. Anyway, oh, okay, okay. I got gripes and and concerns that were addressed and concerns that won't. Anyway, what's so, it even about, Van? Okay, so it, was, it, it is about Sir Frederick of Mercury. Oh. Awesome. So, Freddie Mercury, it is about how he joined Queen. It is the uh-huh. chronicle of the legend of Freddie Mercury and Queen. The legend which, of course, ends a very certain way in the late 80s, early 90s. And it goes all the way. The film is bookended by Live Aid. Oh, okay. Right. So, we are we are introduced to the movie with Freddie... We open on the movie with Freddie Mercury going onto stage at Live Aid. Yeah. And, of course, and the, the film's ultimate conclusion is a near real-time restaging of Live Aid. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because we are specifically told at one point, every artist gets 20 minutes, no more, no less. The culmination of this movie is literally 20 minutes long. How long is this movie? Which means there is a near unbroken performance of Rami Malek doing the entire set from Live Aid. Oh, good for him. (laughs) And he does it well. Is it him singing or is uh, it... A combination, actually. Oh. It is part Ray Malik, part... Uh, they've actually gotten someone in specifically to do it. So, uh, story of Freddie Mercury, um, how he you know, came into Queen, how he... Well, what wasn't then called Queen, how he joined the band, how he uh, took them to fame and fortune, and how they all became legends. It is directed by Brian Singer. It is written by Anthony McCartan, who brought us The Theory of Everything. And here's a clip. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. So what can they do? Imagine thousands of people doing this in unison. Huh? Well, what's the lyric? Same without Richie Neville and Abs, is it? Anyway. <laughs> I was just going to burst into that version. So, um, obvious question. Is Rami Malek any good in this? Yes, he is. He's very good. Um, we all knew that. Come there on. are... Right. Rami Malek is, I would say, 
the perfect representation of the film as a whole. Okay. So you can use Ray Malik as a macrocosm for the entire film. Ooh, that was a good word. Which is to say, he's very good. He's very entertaining. He looks the part. He walks the part. There's just little cracks. Uh-huh. Little things that don't quite work. With Ray Malik, the, the key thing, the biggest one of those things is, there are moments he can't quite come to grips with the big plastic teeth. Uh, there are moments when it's very obvious he's struggling. He gets through them, yeah. and he's phenomenal. However, he, like the film, works best when he's either with the band in a rehearsal space, mm-hmm. and they are doing, like you heard in that clip, origin stories for popular Queen hits. Yeah. Which is, and the, the, seri- the film can be broken down into a series of origin stories for Queen songs. Excellent. Um, it's either those scenes... Or it's the ones where they're on stage. Right. The film is less entertaining when it actually becomes the thing we wanted it to be, which was the Freddie Mercury film. (laughs) That's the really sick part. In terms of be careful what you wished for, this might be it. It's phenomenal. It's a lot of fun. But it is very noticeable that the film is less sure of itself when it's being the Freddie Mercury film than when it is being the Queen film. Got it. And the problem is, Queen were never as interesting as Freddie Mercury. Mm. Freddie Mercury was always more interesting. And the problem is, as well, they've had to embellish certain details for narrative purposes. Okay. That they're going to drive people mad. If they're, if they're Freddie aficionados, if they're acolytes of the great Mercury, some of them are going to get driven insane by some of the little niggling things in this. Got it. Uh, there is an entire breakup sequence for instance, of this band, that simply never happened. Ah. And as such, you then have to have a makeup sequence that That clearly never happened. happened. (laughs) Um, You get past that, though. The film is very good. Um, You can criticise it, to be fair, for having, and this is the quote, a hissable gay villain. Now, the only problem with that is, if you read anything on Freddie Mercury, very quickly it's going to become painfully clear that the character referred to as the hissable gay villain really was a hissable gay villain. That's kind of the point. The footage is out there. You can watch it for yourself. Right. You can't really tar the film with someone's real-life personality flaws. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, let's see. Mike Myers seems to have been put in this movie as a gag. Who is he in it? He's uh, Ray Foster, the record executive who uh, uh, produced Dark Side of the Moon, as we're told at one point. Oh. He is in this movie. He's, he has three scenes. Uh-huh. Well, two and a half scenes, we'll call them, because the third, one, the third one's kind of a cameo. Uh, kind of a, just a fleeting appearance. Right. Um, he has these three scenes for literally no reason other than to make a cheap joke about Bohemian Rhapsody being in Wayne's World 20 years later. No way. Oh, that is no. literally why he's there. That's terrible. And I tell you something, I, I felt I, I apologise to anyone who was in that screening with me because my groan must have been deafening. <laughs> I apologise to Greg as well who sat with me. But they um, could hear you rolling just your Just hear eyes. me go, ugh. <laughs> uh, let's see. So other than that, though, Ben Hardy, who I'm told is from EastEnders. Sure. Um, uh, ben Hardy, uh, Gwilym Lee, and Joseph Mazzello. Who's that? Timmy from Jurassic Park. Aww. Right, they are... Oh, I 
whatever you're saying yeah. is in this. They are the three, well, the members of Queens. So Ben Hardy's Roger Taylor, Gwynnum Lee is uh, Brian May. Those two are hilariously in step with the actual guys, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Joe Mazzello, though, actually far more likeable and interesting than John Deacon has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he cast it himself. <laughs> uh, absolutely terrific. Uh, there's roles in there for, for instance, Lucy Boynton, who plays Mary Austin, who is uh, Freddie's... Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Thing. Actually, you can pretty much just keep her as girlfriend for life, to be honest. Uh, Tom Holland is in there Ooh, as well. He? He's, the, he's the, the lawyer. He's Miami, you know. Oh, okay. um, let's see what else you got. Alan Leach from, uh, I'm told, Downton Abbey. He plays Paul Prenter, who mm. is the quote-unquote hissable gay villain. Gay villain. Uh, Paul Prenter, though, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else you could call him, to be honest. Sounds interesting to me. He's a hissable gay villain in the way that Paul Burrell was a hissable gay villain. Aww. Yeah, you know. I agree. Except, you know. More of a panto dame, I'd say. Panto dame, but a devious drug fueled criminal. Sure. Yeah, anyway. Not Paul Burrell. That's how the film would like to point him out, anyway. <laughs> Just allegedly. That's how the film will point him out. Uh, I thought the film was genuinely, at times, tremendous. There is a moment, for instance, when a certain diagnosis that has to come up. I comes think up. we all know what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, there's no real spoiler alert on this one because obviously we've not seen Freddie Mercury recently, so you kind of know what has to have happened. Um, there was a moment, for instance, in which you see a young boy, a uh, young man, uh, maybe about 20 years old, sat in sort of the waiting area of an mm. F, what's clearly the AIDS wing of yeah. a, a hospital. And uh, he's there and he's got his lesions, he's, he's pasty face, got the lesions, and he's, he's just looks like he just has lost faith in the world, sees Freddie Mercury come by. Aww. And they, they, share, they share a moment, um, there's, a, there's a line of dialogue, I won't spoil it for you. And it's, I, I'll be honest, I went misty-eyed. I thought it was just an absolutely beautiful moment. Uh, the entire last 20 minutes when they do uh, Live Aid mm-hmm. and the context they put it in, which is initially a bit silly because I'm pretty sure they nicked the idea from Love Actually. But, okay. yeah, I'm pretty sure Hugh Grant did this in Love Actually anyway. <laughs> um, when they do the whole Live Aid sequence, it's done within a context that makes absolute thematic sense for the story. Mm-hmm. And... It does result in something you never thought would happen. You will weep at a performance of Radio Gaga. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not Film of the Week for me. What is that? No, so Film of the Week for me this week, I'm going to go with The Hate You Give. I think The Hate You Give is genuinely tremendous. I think... I'm so surprised. Bohemian Rhapsody can be tremendous at times, but most of the time, it's just a good time. Okay. Yeah. I'll accept it. I'll go see it. Yeah. I think you will. I think you'll. Uh, I think when you do, you'll enjoy. It. I saw it in IMAX, by the way, with the uh, the full the full Dolby Atmos uh-huh. thing going on, surround sound, business. the full thing, and uh, that sequence with the uh, the We Will Rock You, yeah. uh, the, the, the stamping in the crowd. Wow. Did everyone join in? Oh, yes. Yeah, everyone in that screening room. <laughs> everyone. I mean, we were doing it while we were listening to the clips. But we really so. were, <laughs> yes. And deservedly so. Deservedly so. So, uh, next week yeah, is an interesting one. So, next week we've got the 4K restoration of The Fog, the John Carpenter classic. Oh. That's next week. We've got Slaughterhouse Rules next week. Oh, I want to see that. Did you know my buddy wrote that? No. True story. My buddy Henry wrote that. Shut up. Uh, we've also got Juliet Naked, uh, oh. which is a new movie starring Ethan Hawke, Chris O'Dowd, and Rose Byrne. So, okay. Yeah. Love uh, me some Rose Byrne. Yeah. We've also got Peter Lou. There is a reissue of Some Like It Hot. Okay. The Nutcracker and the Four Realms is hey, apparently out next I'm week. I'm going to totally watch that. Yeah. I mean, it seems a bit early, but I'll watch it. 
Yeah. And the Yukon Assignment, a documentary, is next week. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got all those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this is a Candy Store production for Movie Market. I've been Ben Connor. I've been Kelly Needham. And we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more movie news, reviews and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Podcast extras. So, Ms. Needham, we have, we have fun to discuss. I want you to tell me about Daredevil 3. Yes, because you know I've been looking forward to this. You have. I have, because... Well, you, as long as you've known me, I've been a fanatic of Dead Old. You have. You even enjoyed that god-awful film. That Ben Affleck film. That terrible first of all, film. First of all, the director's cut of that film <laughs> is light years ahead of the theatrical. Uh-huh. Okay? It turns out that, against all odds, if you give Coolio an acting role, he will actually do something with it. It's going to be goofy, but it's going to work. Yeah, That's yeah. That's the important you've part. You've tried to make me watch this for about the last... 15 years. No, 50 longer. Years. Longer. 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 Yeah. 2002, I, I think. 2003. Anyway, uh, so the thing is, though, um, that was when I was I was hugely into Daredevil, and like one of my favourite books ever is mm-hmm. uh, Born Again, Frank Miller's Born Again, mm-hmm. which is a storyline in which the kingpin you know, basically wreaks havoc on Daredevil's life. Uh-huh. The kingpin focuses all his efforts solely on Daredevil. Okay. And basically, because he knows who Daredevil is, always has, uh, he just isolates every single layer of his existence and destroys it. It makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of it, you. It's, that, it's one of those storylines. Just like I, I always wondered why no villain ever did this. Exactly. As soon as they yeah. find out who they are, yeah, exactly. And they always do. Well, that's the thing. It's like the whole. Oh, what would happen if everyone knew he was Spider Man? Well, it turns out we have a book for that. Anyway. Um, there's a book so, for that. There is a book for that. Uh, so now we have a TV adaptation of Born Again that even introduces Bullseye as well. Oh, uh, that was is, Colin Farrell, It was Colin it? Farrell in the film. And I, I think, if I remember correctly, when that film came out, I think Colin Farrell was the only thing that nearly everyone complimented about that film. <laughs> sure. And yet there are people I know who, uh, like people close to me, who, who have seen it over the years for the first times, for their first times, and have isolated Colin Farrell as being the one thing they hated about it. So it's amazing how attitudes change over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we have a new bullseye, and he's played by this guy called B- Wilson Bernthal, or Bernthal Wilson, or okay. something like that. And he just looks like, and, and has the demeanour of, someone you'd hire if Joel Kinnaman was busy. Oh, okay. Right. Like Poundland Joel Kinnaman. Poundland Joel Kinnaman. Which a lot is, of these Poundlanders out there. Which is there. really weird, though, right? Because Joel Kinnaman is who you always get when the first guy you wanted quits. <laughs> okay? Joel Kinnaman's your second choice. So he's already the Poundland Joel. So he's the 99p store. Okay. Joel got Kinnaman. It, got it, got it. Yeah. And there's this story that's emerged as well that mm-hmm. he apparently got very close to being cast as Captain America. Oof. And you're sort of thinking... Not Joel Kinnaman? No, 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 oh, no. Oh, Bernthal. Wilson or Wilson Bernthal. This is his pen badly all over again. Yeah. Badge Penley. Badge Penley. Pen yeah. Uh, Jared, Jared Padawanky? I don't know. Anyway. A guy from Gilmore Girls. Michael Chad Murray. Chad, Chad Michael, Chad Michaelson? Bradson, Michael, Chad Michael Michaels is figure skating. 
<laughs> Sorry, back on topic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, apparently this this dude's this dude's doing doing interviews saying, "Oh, I was nearly Captain America, uh-huh. um, and I was doing costume tests and all." And you start thinking, well, "Okay, that can't be real." Because no, not not under any circumstances would that possibly be uh, be real. real. Um, and it just it, it's one of these stories that sort of come about in the last uh, in the last week. I don't believe it. Chris Evans is Captain America. Well, and... not anymore. He's not apparently. Well, he keeps changing his mind. So you know, we'll see. <laughs> I'm yeah. holding out hope. Well, apparently, was, I remember one time he was quitting after Avengers three, and he was going to be a director. Whatever. That was the thing. Dude, stick to it. Uh, but the reason I, I mentioned Joel Kinnaman is because Joel Kinnaman had that whole thing where he would uh, he would always be the guy that got the role that someone else dropped out of. And uh-huh. Tom Hardy did that a lot. And I remember Tom Hardy was going to be Rick Flagg in Suicide Squad. Uh, which one's Rick Flagg? Oh, the, the- Australian. No, 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 no. The, 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 like, human oh, leader. The, the, one the, the military that's guy. in love with... We're in love Cara, with... Cara... Cara... Uh, Davinia or whatever she's... Uh, yeah. Delevingne? Delevingne, yes. Delevingne. De eyebrows. Yeah, eyebrows. Eyebrows chick. Okay. The eyebrows chick, weird dancer. Anyway. So he was going to be... So that was Tom Hardy, and then Tom Hardy quit, because Tom Hardy went through this phase where Tom Hardy kept signing on to comic book movies, and then quitting. Ah. It was really weird. It was like this became like a prank he was pulling for a little while. And he settled on Venom? And for so, like, that was the thing. When he was announcing, when they announced he was going to be Venom, nobody really took it, nobody who knew took it seriously because it happened so often. Ah, he'll quit we just soon figured enough. he'd quit the following week. We didn't think he'd actually make the son of a bitch. Well, I kind of wish he hadn't. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so angry at that film. Okay, you wanted to ask me about it. What do you want to ask me about about Venom? Well, I just... the answer is why. The, the answer, if the question is why, the answer is money. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not a question. It's just my pure outrage over mm. the fact that, and this is we're going into spoiler territory here. So, whoop, whoop, yeah, yeah, spoiler okay, alert, there we are. You know, Spoilers. If you've not seen it, skip spoiler it, skip warning. it, skip it. So. The first half of the film, like I said, was was kind of all right. You know, Venom ends up in him, and Venom's talking to him. Venom wants to eat everybody and kill everybody, and Tom Hardy's like... Venom ends up in him. Well, you know what I mean. He's he's in him. Friday Night Down Dempsey's. He ends up in him. It's very sexy. But, you know, Venom's like this ferocious character, wanting to kill and eat everybody, Mm. constantly hungry and furious, and, you know, we're going to take over your planet, and I don't care, and I'm just using you. And then literally... For no apparent reason, he tells Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams all of his weaknesses <laughs> for no apparent reason, <laughs> and then decides that actually he loves Earth for no apparent reason. No, no, and Eddie that- changed his mind. He says, what changed your mind? You did, you Eddie. You did, Eddie. Yep. On my home planet, I'm kind of a loser. Yeah, and Honestly, exactly, it was yeah. that line, and I think I probably groaned even louder than you did uh, at Mike Myers and Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I was like, really? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the whole of De- Venom is on such a, uh, such a, a flatline level anyway, with only his madcap energy to sort of rein it all in. What on uh, earth? I mean, I can forgive the whole thing with the Vietnamese lady. I think we talked about it last week, where it's kind of... <laughs> For six months, he's quite Who's happy. Yeah, you. Yeah, he's you, quite, Ruben, quite happy you. sat in that body for six I can forgive all that garbage, yeah. but I cannot forgive on my home planet. I'm kind of a loser. I can't forgive yeah. it. Yeah, because he's like, I thought this character's meant to be some kind of badass. Yeah. And then, it, but why does he change his mind? Yeah. It's, it's... How, how has Eddie changed his mind? Oh, I don't know. 
It's, Answers on a postcard. Yeah. Can we can we give somebody else a random DVD if they manage to tweet in and give us an answer that actually makes any sense? <laughs> All right, I tell you what, we'll do uh, best answer to the question to that question. So repeat the question in a moment. Best answer to that question will win a Spider-Man related DVD. A Pete Spider-Man one. A Pete Spider-Man DVD. It will be some things because you can you can we've got any number of random Spider-Man DVDs lying around. Uh, so yeah, what, what is your question? What do you want the answer to? So the question is, why does Venom decide to change his mind about the planet Earth? Okay, Simple. so yeah, okay, so hashtag uh, 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 I don't know Venom twist. Venom yeah. twist hashtag off screen. There you go. We'll find it. Yeah, yeah. send them into movie market. Honestly, I can't deal with it. <laughs> so a uh, couple of uh, we've got a couple of bits of film news we've got sure. uh, one review left to go should we do the review first let's do it okay so review we're going to talk about uh, waiting for you and i just realized that i've queued this up without even actually uh, uh putting the film up on imdb in front of me i am terrible okay so here actually, we are you're kind of a loser <laughs> exactly <laughs> kind of a loser oh. so waiting for you which is um it stars colin murray uh from merlin who, who, you know, played Merlin. Oh, I keep thinking that that's the Welsh guy that was like the Radio 1 DJ. Was he not called Colin Murray? No, no, that is Colin. You know what? You're absolutely right. I'm oh. thinking of Colin Morgan. You're thinking of Colin Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really weird because we both work for Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Name's right, Van. Come on. Colin Who's in Morgan. this film? Colin Morgan. From Merlin, right? Who got played it. Merlin got in it. Merlin? There get you it. go. Okay, so he is uh, a, a, a sort of thirty-ish man who uh, returns home for his father's funeral mm-hmm. and basically starts setting his father's affairs in order for his mother, sort yeah. of to take care of his mom. And he becomes uh, he basically put on the trail of certain financial uh, transactions that his father's been involved in over the years, specifically involving a house in France. Okay. That he journeys to and discovers a woman nearby with whom his father clearly had something of a, a, a never a never publicly revealed relationship, and it starts to question the things he knew. Here's a clip. This is Captain Brown's house, is it? It's only Madame Brown here now. Oh, bonjour, Madame. I don't even know who some of these people are. It's Captain Brown here. Dad mentioned him when he was ill. He ruined my life. I think you should have these. The house in France, you said. And he's with a woman. Are you a detective or? No. So yes, it would really like to be a, a sort of highbrow, uh, dramatic mystery thriller. Um, the problem is, I think it's it's too character focused to really make much of a mystery that isn't really there. Well, truly, it's solved as soon as he sees that woman. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's not is much of a. Is that Mrs. Brown? It's, yeah, it's Madame not, Brown. Not really much of a guess, is it? Mm. Um, yeah, the, solved I mean, it. the performances are great. So, uh, 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 Colin Morgan and Fanny Ardent are, uh, are are great in this. Uh, I think Morgan in particular shows an almost everyman quality in this that I'd never actually seen from him before mm-hmm. because he does play offbeat 
off kilter, sort of just slightly left field weirdos. Hipsters. Well, you look at his Merlin, for instance. He's mm. playing Merlin. You know, it makes sense that he does it then. He is that kind of Spock character in a strange way, a Doctor Who-ish kind of lead. And he does excel at playing those characters. And because he does it so well, he does it a lot. And so That's obviously, what tends to happen. yeah. So it's nice. It's nice to see this kind of roll off. There is something quite likable about about him in this. And I'll be honest with you, I did have that feeling watching him in this that I had when I saw, I think Daniel Radcliffe in that rom com. What if? Oh, I like that. Yeah, film. it was like, oh, wow, it's it's so weird that I, I I'm kind of seeing you as a normal guy for yeah. the first time. Yeah. Which is very strange. It uh, shouldn't be, but it is. It's very strange. For the first time I actually think of you as a normal person. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, you know that effect. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like um, when you see somebody from Friends in a film. Yes. And they actually do a good job. You know what it would be? It would be like seeing Zachary Quinto in a rom-com. Oh. He's in Watch Your Number. Is he? Yeah. Very briefly. Oh, okay. He's at the start. He's a vegan... Asshole. Okay, there we are. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, Waiting for You is uh, in cinemas this week, this coming Friday. Do you recommend it? No. I, I, you know, I, I, I actually do think there is a certain art house crowd that will go for this. Okay. Because it's, uh, Charles Gerard, um, who's, who's written and directed this, uh, he, he's he's not actually much of an established director. He's more known as a production designer. Mm-hmm. And he worked on, like, in fact, I know for a fact he worked on one film that I actually quite like for reasons I can't even begin to explain, which is a film called The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain. And it stars Hugh Grant as a cartographer who goes to a Welsh town that claims to be on claims to have a mountain and he determines, well, actually, that's a hill. Oh, my God. It's like, say, 50 feet short of a hill. Oh, my God. 50 feet short of a mountain. So the entire village, the entire Welsh village, cart dirt up this hill to basically increase the height of the hill and make it into a mountain. Hence the very clever title. But also, I'm not going to lie, Tara Fitzgerald was very sexy in it. Anyway... Moving on. Moving on. Uh, yes, the production designer that has made a film. That film is waiting for you. Actually, he's done quite a good job behind the camera. Mm-hmm. I think, though, he has done a much better job at selling a character drama than he has the mystery element that the film keeps tiptoeing towards, mm. but doesn't really have much of a basis to do much with. Okay. As a character drama, though, fine, great. I'll probably see Good performances. <laughs> I don't think it would work on you, for instance. So, uh, let's see, what film else news. is uh, Film news. Have you got anything you'd like to go into before I launch into mine? Um, so, in the new Joker film, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, they've cast uh, Bruce Wayne. Of course they have. Uh, so it's Dante Pereira Olsen. Don't know who he is. So apparently he was in Happy and you were never really here. Oh, okay. Don't um, remember him either. So he's a kid. So he's going to be kid Bruce Wayne. Didn't we do kind of this already on TV? On Gotham? Yeah. yeah. I think so. Well, apparently he's only going to be a bit of a cameo in this. <laughs> they, Go on. They did, first of all, they did also cast Alfred, I think, as well. Uh, uh, yes, I feel like they have, but yeah. I can't think who it is. But also, like, just we mentioned Gotham. Do you know who's playing Bane on Gotham? No. Who? Shane West. <gasps> no way! Yeah. When I raise my sword. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Shane West, for me, is always a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And uh, when Sean Connery throws in that, uh, like, eyes open, boy, I can't watch over you all the time yeah, thing, and then yeah. he, he throws it back at Sean Connery, like, eyes open, boy, I can't keep my eyes on you all the time. Oh, my God. you're like, God. oh, my God, Shane, you can't hilarious. do it, man. Just at least do a Connery voice when you do it. I need to out. watch. I need to watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and need to watch Get Over It. And I need to watch... Well, he wasn't Get Over It, wasn't he? Yeah. 
and I need to watch uh what's the film he's in with James Franco where they're kind of frenemies and but they sort of work together because they want to pull the two girls Oh, I need to look up what that is. I need to know what this is now. Oh I my remember god, it's it. amazing! It's amazing. And I remember some obscure shit. <laughs> You're looking at the only guy to have seen the movie "Buying the Cow" twice. Yeah, sure. Um, anyway, back to back to this news. So, so he's been cast, but they've also cast Thomas Wayne, so which is Batman's huh. father. Okay. Um, and that is going to be a guy called Brett Cullen. Brett Cullen, I feel like actually he was in Dark Knight Rises. Mm, possibly. He was the senator that Catwoman drugged and took away from Bruce Wayne's party in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Could be. I, I, I could entirely be right. I might be wrong, but I could be right. You could be. Well, apparently <laughs> Thomas is going to be a big main character in it. So Batman's dad is going to be some sort of full supporting character in the film, whereas baby Batman is going to be a bit of a fleeting cameo. Oh, Alfred. It's uh, Douglas Hodge. Douglas Hodge. I don't yeah. know him of him. He's from The Night Manager and Penny Dreadful. Ah, so British actor who's really big into cable. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, but I didn't realise that uh, Robert De Niro was going to be in it. Yeah, De Niro's one of the names in there. Shea Wiggum was another. Mark uh, Maron. Yes, Mark Maron is apparently a comedy club uh, manager, like a stage manager of a comedy Seems club. Seems about right. So go figure on that I one. I wonder if he'll play it in a sort of sarcastic, passive-aggressive tone. I feel like that he would be might. Him. Could you imagine him doing such a thing? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's my news. You got any news? Okay, so, uh, right. You know Martin Scorsese? Uh, who? <laughs> well, he, he directed a film or two, like, in the 70s. Big into Coke and Robert De Niro. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so he's going uh, to do this film. It's called uh, Killers, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's based on a novel. Killers of the Flower yeah. Moon. Well, the thing is, though, um, well, he needs a lead actor. So who should Martin Scorsese get as a lead actor in 2018? <sighs> Can't be Leonardo DiCaprio, can it? It is entirely Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, I'm going to read this for baiting because I've not had a chance to skip this. The story is set in 1920s Oklahoma uh-huh. when the Native American... American Osage Nation were the richest people per capita in the world uh-huh. after oil was discovered under their land. Uh, then they were murdered one by one, and the FBI had to investigate. Okay. Now that sounds awesome. So clearly, you know, DiCaprio would be the FBI agent investigating. And do you know what Scorsese could kill at that? He absolutely could. Yeah. It seems like his kind of thing. It was. I feel like post Shutter Island, he could do something with that. Because there's almost something of a a, a Croatoa vibe. A Croatoa? Well, you know the story of Croatoa? No. Croatoa was like an island off the coast of uh, North America. Right. It was like a, a... I forget which state it's off the coast of, like New England or Pennsylvania or something. Okay. Small island, had like a small village on it. And then one day, every one of its residents disappeared. Oh, I've heard of this. And the only clue left behind was that someone had carved Croatoa on a tree, brun- uh, tree trunk. Yes. yes. Now I do know. Yeah, famously, it's a plot point in Supernatural. Anyway. Famously. <laughs> famously. Apparently. It's a plot point in the second Supernatural. Anyway, okay. so yeah, so DiCaprio and Scorsese. Imagine that pairing. Wow, what an interesting pairing. Um, I've managed to look up what that film is, by the way. Go on, what is know. it? What the is Shane it? West, uh, James Franco. Yeah. It's called Whatever It Takes. Whatever it takes. I know the title, but I don't remember the film. So it's also, so one of the girls is Jodie Lynn O'Keefe, which, you know, of course, it was Holy early 2000s. Holy crap. So I'm in, I'm of in, I'm in, in I'm in. And the other was Marla Sokoloff. Nope. You know, she's in um, 
Shin Dude, where's my car? And she was in the practice. Um, no, no, I don't know her. Oh, you'll know. If I, I'll show you a picture of her and you'll Look, know I'd, her. Other than Dylan McDermott and James Spader, I remember nobody else being in the practice. James Spader doesn't count as being in the practice. Wait, he does. He sh- did an entire season. He, oh, of about eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. He did the eighth season. And, oh, I know who you mean. She was cute. Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, sorry, yeah. take it away. So you need to watch whatever it takes. I, I will now. Is it? On, do we know if it's on Netflix or uh, Prime? I don't, actually. I hope it is, because I need to watch that stuff. So I have interesting interesting news. Uh-huh. So uh, Richard Linklater, uh-huh. who's uh, a quirky director, we shall say. I guess. An unpredictable director, one, one could call him. One might say. Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to uh, write and direct the Bill Hicks biopic. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Which is interesting, because who do you get to play Bill Hicks? Bill Hicks? I mean, especially <laughs> especially now that like Lewis Black Louis. is too old. Yeah. Now that Lewis Black is the age he is, he can't play Bill Hicks anymore. He'd have been a great Bill Hicks. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Same fatten up Dennis Leary, huh? That doesn't have a certain irony <laughs> no, to it. No, he's surely he's far too old. No, but the irony, of course, was that like D- Dennis Leary was always accused of stealing jokes from Bill Hicks. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, it went over my head. No, no, sorry, it's quite alright. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, so the Bill Hicks movie that that's coming. Richard Linklater doing that. That's uh, like, do you know what? I, I'm I'm intrigued by that. Like Richard Linklater does some bizarre things, like. I watched uh, the Vice Guide to Film episode on him recently, and mm-hmm. that was the, I, that was when it, they lay it all out for you. Like, I, it's really hard to believe that the same dude does like a Scanner Darkly straight after School of Rock. True, and then all this time is making Boyhood the whole time as well. Oh, yeah, God, and, I forgot about that. Yeah, you know, because he obviously just does that like every year for twelve Forever. years. You know, yeah, it's a very strange, it's like a very strange eclectic career. It's kind of. He's kind of the me in terms of my music taste. <laughs> if you were to look at my Spotify. <laughs> right. right. I, I love this story okay. right, because it's presented as if it's huge news. Okay. And you clearly know that when you see this, it's going to wind up feeling so like direct-to-video. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Do you remember a movie from about two years ago and it starred Maggie from The Walking Dead? Lauren Cohen. Is right. this the horror film? It was called The Boy. <gasps> oh, no, she wasn't in that, was she? Yeah, 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 I she was, Lauren Cohen. Was yeah. she? It was. I thought she was, the, she was in the one where it was like knocking on the door and it was like, don't open the door. No, 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 oh, no. That's, that's Laurie from The Walking Got Dead. It, yes. That's Sarah Wayne Callies. And I interviewed her for that movie. Oh, yes, of course you did. Because I fell in love with her when I was interviewing her. Because <laughs> she yeah. just has this whole Juliet Lewis vibe. Boy, but anyway. The boy was the hilarious one where the girl yeah. went to the house to be a. Au pair, yeah. And it was for a doll, right? Yeah, it was for the doll. Yeah, it was the whole thing. And twists and turns so, uh, and whatever you ensued. Right. Here's the thing, though. That movie cost $15 million to make. Hey? Yeah, okay. What did they spend that on? <laughs> well, Lauren Cohen's a, a big star at that point. <laughs> Walking Dead's ridiculous. making... Walking Dead was making bank, man. Don't be anyway, okay. So it, it, it cost $15 million. It made 68 Huh? Right, which means, according to the laws of Hollywood, that means that that movie made what roughly thirty-eight million profit, give sure. or take, roughly about thirty-eight mil. Okay, you, just, you usually call it twice the budget for break-even. 
Like Couple. use that use that as a figure. Couple but, of quid uh, in the pocket then. Yeah, so thirty eight mil. For, I can't believe that made that much money. Yeah, you know, the profit. It made thirty eight mil profit. You know, made sixty eight total. Mean. Uh, so they're now they're going to do Who a sequel. watched it? Well, I mean, I watched it, but not the cinema. My mum watched it. That's the kind of person that watched it, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we're getting a sequel. No, why? We just we get a sequel. Right? Just, just bear with me because this gets worse. Okay, I promise this gets worse. Wow. Right? They they've evidently they're going with a different cast. Obviously, yeah. uh, kind of one of those things that the horror genre has to do. Well, they're going to have to do it about something else, surely. Well, it's going to be the same plot. Wow. Yep. And uh, it's, it's going to be one of those things, one of those horror series where it's the same plot with a different family. Okay. Right. Would you like to see who's going to play? I'll let you reveal to our listeners who will play the mum now that you know they have to replace Lauren Cohen. And it is, of course... <gasps> Katie Holmes! Yes, this no! is Katie Holmes. How direct a DVD is that? Oh, no! Yeah, I know, right? Is she still a thing? <laughs> Apparently still a thing. I thought she'd been run out of Hollywood I was for watching, upsetting the Scientologists. I was watching Ocean's 8 the other week. Yeah. And she cameos in there as herself. Did she? Yes. Wait, which bit? She's at the table with Anne Hathaway oh, at the yes. Met Ball. And like it's it's it, it's and she's clearly playing herself. Like there's a name badge in front of her saying Casey Holmes and shit on it. Oh geez. yeah. So sure. huh. But uh, so apparently she she must still be a thing. Well, slightly different and and possibly better horror news. Go on. Uh sci-fi is in talks for the remake rights to oh, I uh, heard this. Critters and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Right. Critters I'm not surprised by. In fact, I'm shocked like Universal haven't like in fact because sci-fi own Universal. Uh, sorry, Universal owned sci-fi. I was going right. to say. Universal owned sci-fi. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be a little bit great world if that was the other way around? Good Lord, no, it would be awful. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying the Fast and Furious movies would be a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, they would be in space by now. There'd be less family. No, no, there'd be more family with more limbs <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yes, yeah, so uh, Critters, I'm surprised like Universal themselves didn't try and reboot for the big screen at some point. I like, guess so. In the last, like, 20 years recently. Because we, we're near, it's nearly 20 years that we've been rebooting all the horror franchises now. Yeah, I guess so. Because what did we wait? About two or three years after the Scream movies hit to start actually remaking known horror brands. I guess so. But, uh, and it's, it's always shocked me that Critters never... I mean, we're getting a Child's Play reboot. Let's I not talk about that. I never thought we'd see that. Let's not talk about that. But not having said happy. that, I still never thought we'd see a Child's Play 4. Or a 5. Or then a six. Or a six. Or a seven. seven. Or a TV series. (laughs) Or a remake, relaunch, reboot. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that series series has evolved in ways I didn't expect. I told you. We're not talking about it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so there's that So, yeah, Critters and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is one of those movies that's never... I don't think anyone actually thinks it's any good. But everyone watches... that's the point, though, isn't it? But everyone watches because the poster... Is so good, it makes them think it's good. Well, you know, one of the scare zones in uh, Universal Studios this year is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Amazing. And actually, Chucky's in there, too. He's got his own. Because it's kind of this 80s vibe this year. Well, yes, imagine that. The 80s are big business at the moment. Well, Stranger Things <laughs> is, the, uh, is the big house, so, you know. Of course it is, of course it is. <laughs> um, so, um, this is a project that's been kicking about for many years. Mm-hmm. And it's been in development hell. And uh, it's uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. 
Oh, yeah. What happened to that? Yeah, well, it, it's now alive again. Okay. And it's over at Netflix. Oh. And it's now apparently is it stop motion. I think it's stop motion animated now. Oh, no. Oh, so I tell you what, though, did Del Toro doing stop motion animation? Yeah, but imagine him doing live action with a I know. And... Actually, I do think if it's live action and stop motion. As oh, it's, I'd be fine with it's li- that. If it's live actors and the puppet, if yeah. Pinocchio is, is stop motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd be fine like, with that. I'm all in on yeah, that. That's yeah. awesome. But I do think an animated one could still be interesting. Do you think it's going to be family friendly? Because he does his best work when it's not as family friendly, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Once you've, once you've gotten to, like, fish banging, you know, there's... <laughs> What's you got on the fish banging? No, this, you know uh, I didn't like that one. Grinding Nemo. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I really didn't like that film. But oh, I love that film. I thought it was so good. Uh, well, everyone loved it. Also, it, had, it, it really did have a real sexuality to it that I just, I just didn't expect. I was caught off guard by I was quite impressed by it. And I'll be really honest, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard for anything in mainstream cinema to impress me when it comes to sexuality. So, mm, Okay. Yeah, it really does. I think because I, I personally am a deviant pervert, and Hollywood is ruled by prudes. So that's true. That's why I'm always amazed that James Spader had an acting career. Love James Spader. I know you. Do. We've bonded many times over our love of of the Spader. That's true. But, uh, uh, any other news? So yeah, there's the, oh, there's always news, darling. Right, uh, this is the most bizarre one. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, horror remakes, all the rage. Yeah. Halloween is uh, finally, finally a hit. Because, you know, well, it's been 20 years. Well, nobody had heard of it before. Well, it's been 20 years (laughs) since the last vaguely successful Halloween movie. It's been 20 years. I feel really old. Yeah, and that was was when Josh Hartner was in charge, you know. Um, What happened to him, by the way? What happened to him? He... uh, thought he was a better actor and a more sought-after commodity than he was, started turning down roles, and before he realised it, by his own admission, had basically turned down everyone in Hollywood. Mm. And this news I should follow up with the revelation that one of those roles was Bruce Wayne in the ba- in Batman Begins. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Bad times. To which he has acknowledged and said... I'll admit that because I, I, I really just regret not being able to work with Christopher Nolan and I wish I had done it because I wish I could have worked with him. doesn't particularly regret not being Batman, he just regrets. Although I think that's complete bull and clearly he regrets not being Batman. Of course he does. Although his name does come up an awful lot in Batman and Superman rumours. Mm. Uh, at one point in the very late 90s, his name came up in, um, in connection to a movie called World's Finest that was going to have... Um, let's see, the plot was going to be that Lex Luthor and the Joker trick Batman and Superman into fighting one another. Huh. Yeah, funny that. It'll it was never work. It was going to be directed by... Uh, <laughs> it was going to be directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson? Wolfgang Peterson, who brought us one of my favourite movies, Outbreak, and uh, The Perfect Storm. Ugh. And uh, he... Um, let's see, what else did he do? Um... Oh, he did In the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood. But it was also going to have Josh Hartnett, I think, as Batman and Jude Law as Superman, or the other way around. I can't remember. Oh, no. Surely Jude Law would have to be Superman out of them two. One of them was Jude Law and one of them was Josh Hartnett. That's what I remember. You you need to see the face. You know, Superman's about the face. Batman's about the voice. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, any old chump could be Batman. I mean, just you just need a chin. Any old chin. 
I mean, old chin can be better, man. I mean, anyway. They got Affleck, king of chins. I mean, I'm surprised we never got Kyle MacLachlan, emperor of chins. He is. It's true. Have you ever seen like uh, Showgirls when he does like that awful swimming pool scene with? Yes, uh, of course. With, uh, How dare Berkeley. you ask me if I've seen Showgirls? She's so excited. Um, <laughs> anyway, I've distracted you. We're talking about Halloween. Yeah, I did have a point. Can't remember. Oh yeah, it was I think uh, remakes, horrors. Yeah, obviously, uh, Halloween Show was the last like genuinely successful yeah. uh, Halloween movie. Like Resurrection did not make an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks fight uh, Michael Myers. Nothing. Nope. Sorry about it. Uh, nobody gave a fuck about Rob Zombie, really, except Rob Zombie. No. So his movies didn't do an awful lot. And that second one is ass. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, I In mean, fact, I'm not even sure I've seen the first. Effort. I mean, points for trying to do something different with the second one, but mm. it was ass. <laughs> And then, you know, and then we go from that to... Oh, no, that was it. We did H2, and then we're, we're back at uh, Halloween. So, you know, this one's actually made money. Hmm. Yeah. Already. So, of course, you've got to bring Friday the 13th back. No. It's well, already been rebooted about 50 times, hasn't it? Actually, no. Really? No. The, here's the thing. The Friday the 13th series, as we know it... Yeah. Okay, as we... As we sh- as a series, as a central series... Actually ended in 1994. Okay. It ended in 1994 with Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Uh-huh. Right. Now, the weird thing about the end of that movie is it does feature Jason being sucked into hell. It has a definitive ending. Yeah. But uh, I think people have misinterpreted this moment through the years. There is a sequence in which, you know, he's sucked into hell. His mask is there on, like, some dirt. Yeah. And we're looking bird's eye view down on it. And this metallic clawed hand, that is how I will describe it, metallically clawed hand shoots up through the ground from hell and just pulls the mask down as well. Mm-hmm. Right. People immediately took that to mean it was Freddy Krueger's hand. Is it not? No. What is it? It is not. It's just a metallic clawed hand. That just it's lo- Wolverine. It's sort of designed a bit like that. The problem is what we then had were years and years and years and goddamn years of we're going to get Freddy versus Jason. It's going to happen. It's totally going to happen. My mate down the pub says it's going to happen. Because remember, this is pre-internet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it didn't happen. It didn't happen some more. And then one day, goddamn happened. Yo, Freddy! <laughs> exactly, yeah. And we had to suffer Kelly Rowland. Right. That was, I think, the first reboot. And then the second... Oh, no, hang on. No, no, sorry. The first reboot was Jason X. Yes. Right. Which is canonically Jason 10. It comes yeah. after Jason Goes to Hell. Um, so canonically it does happen. There's never an explanation as to how he came out from hell or anything like and that. And he's now in space. And he's now in space. There's never a sequel to that movie either. Right, yeah. there's no continuity follow-on. That then is the end of the series, but it's a series that's then been rebooted anyway. Yeah, right. you then get Freddy vs. Jason, which has no acknowledgement of the events <laughs> because obviously it's set now. Yeah. Has no acknowledgement. Well, not <laughs> now. The, yeah, we set our present day at the time. Mm. Um, then has you know as if Jason goes to hell was the last time we saw Jason. Mm-hmm. Right, so this then becomes part eight again. Okay. Oh, oh sorry, part ten again. Ten again. Right. The weird thing is, the movie was originally written by Ronald Moore and Brannon Braga. Uh-huh. Okay. Who were Star Trek writers. Right. Okay. Which does make sense because 
Jason does come from a Paramount background. So, okay. you know, yeah, makes sense. Okay. Star Trek is Paramount. It would make sense that the writers would come from the same end, like Stranger Things have happened. Mm-hmm. They wrote a script that was bonkers. It was brilliant, and it was bonkers. And the whole gimmick was, Freddy had been banging Jason's mum. <laughs> right? Prior to the events of both Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger was having it off with with Mrs. Voyage, with Jason Voyage's mum. Right. Wasn't his daddy or anything, nothing like weird like that. He was just boning his mum. Right. Right, who I always think of as Nana Visitor now because of Michael Bay's reboot. I haven't seen it. It's it's really uh, hilarious. He he uh, he's really protective of his pot farm. Sure. Yeah, he just really loves his weed, which is a position I can totally get on board with. Anyway, um I'm not saying I would hack up teenagers for my weed. I'm just saying it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So uh, that was the idea that uh, Jason had this trauma about Freddy. And Jason is in hell and Freddy exists in the dream world. And the only way he can come through to reality is to trick Jason into killing some... T- oh, he tricks Jason he, because he can communicate with Jason in Jason's dreams. Uh-huh. He tricks Jason to somehow coming back from hell... And killing a bunch of teenagers, but making it look like Freddy did it. So, the story of Freddy starts again, Ah. and because Freddy is known to exist again, people believe in him, he he can come come back back. from the dream world. That's the idea. He then comes through to reality. I think Mm -hmm. he's birthed through a dead body. Nice. I think it might be Jason's, actually. Nice. And... Jason then basically becomes the oracle for the good guys. Like, the cute, plucky teenagers position Jason as their avatar. They manoeuvre him so that he fights Freddy for them. But it gets better. My God. It gets better. Go on. Because it turns out that once Freddy escapes the dream world and comes into the real world, he can conjure, Mysterio-style, any hallucinogenic imagery he wants. Right. right. And the final act of the movie took place in a shopping mall. Uh-huh. Freddy versus Jason would face off. Their fight would eventually move into a multiplex cinema where there would be a standee for Jason X that Freddy would bring to life and Jason would fight Jason X. Jesus. This is actually a thing that existed. Christ, I'm not surprised they didn't make that one. Uh, I don't know. That would have been insane. I I would have respected the hell out of it. I would have watched it, don't get me wrong, but Jesus. Yeah. And then, of course, Jason would kill Jason X and then kill Freddy, the end. This one probably would not have Monica Keener in it, though. So That would make you sad. I would miss Monica Keener and her incredibly warm-looking but strangely low-cut fuzzy blue jumpers. That's very specific. So we're getting Friday the 13th again, is basically... Yeah, yeah. sorry, I went on a tangent. The short Um, version of that. The funniest part of all this, right? This this is really strange, okay? Uh, LeBron James is going to produce it. I'm Mm. not sure how to respond to that. Yeah. Okay. Because it's not that it doesn't make sense, or that it does. It's just that... You can't really put your finger on what about it doesn't make sense. It's because they're two completely unrelated concepts. Yeah. It's sort of like if I told you Noel Edmund built a smartphone. Noel Edmund's built a smartphone. You'd be like, I guess it could happen. It's just, sure? I don't think it would. Yeah. But sure? Well, I'll let him have a go. 
Yeah. I mean, incidentally, if Noel Edmonds does want to make a smartphone, I'm, I'm all up on that. Well, that's what I meant by letting yeah. my other go. It's, it's got to be I was leopard, talking about Noel Edmonds. It's got to be leopard print, you know. But, <gasps> I would buy the yeah, hell out of that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so um, LeBron James and his Spring Hill Entertainment label, oh. uh, they're going to produce uh, a reboot of Friday the 13th. This has been something that they've been trying to get off the ground for years. I'm just trying to find on this article if it's still going to be paramount because there's been a big thing with the rights to uh, Friday the 13th, like this last few months. Uh-huh. The original, the writer of the original movie has, I think, sued for like his rights and they've said you don't own, uh, own any of it and uh, he's now gotten the rights. Huh. So I'm not quite sure. It's no, no, no mention of Paramount. It's always been a Paramount series, but it's going to suck. Whatever. Oh no! Hang on! No, hang on! It's Vertigo, apparently. Oh. Yes. Okay. Because they were apparently producers on It and The Ring and the Grudge. So. Go figure. But yeah, LeBron James and Friday Thirteenth. Why not? The last version they were trying to get off the ground. And they apparently they came very close to filming it, to starting filming, it was going to be Jason in the Snow. Jason in the Snow? It was going to be Jason in the Snow, that was the whole point. It was going to be like ski resort or something, Jason, uh, Jason's there. Why that? Why would he be there? I don't know, but it's something I quite I would quite like to see, because I haven't seen Jason in the Snow before. <laughs> I suppose. Well, if it can be in space. Did you see the remake, there. though? You, did you see? No, I didn't. Okay. So I think it's on Sky at the minute. I think all the Friday the 13th... Hmm. Are on there, and I think the reboot is. So I'm I'm going to attempt it at some point. You know the greatest thing about that reboot? What? So it's got an incredibly diverse cast because, of course. of course, it's a horror movie made in 2008. So of course, it's got an incredibly 2008, 2009 thereabouts. Um, God, was it that long ago? Something. It was about ten years ago. Jeez. Yeah. Um, there's it goes through a really weird phase, like a really weird sort of spree. But halfway through, where it keeps killing off its diversity characters in hilariously racially inappropriate ways. Oh. Yeah. And nobody involved, either nobody involved in the filming of it noticed, which I find hard to believe, or everybody involved in the filming of it did notice and thought that it was clearly some kind of big meta joke. I'm going to go with a second. Probably. I mean, it starred Jared Padalecki. Pad- <gasps> I didn't know he was in it. it he's the male lead. Danielle, da- the very lovely Danielle Panabaker, is the female lead. Who's that? Caitlin Snow from The Flash. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also, Shark's daughter. James Woods' daughter in Shark. Never seen it. Never seen it? It was a, this Never badass series with, like, James Woods and Jerry Ryan. Mm. Remember when Jerry Ryan was a thing? No. No? Seven of Nine? Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Shout out to my dad. Loved oh, Seven of Nine. That was the worst idea Star Trek ever had. <laughs> yeah. Let's we'll get a sexy pork in a cat suit. <laughs> sexy pork in a cat suit. What's wrong with that? Oh, Roddenby would have approved. I she eventually admit. had feelings. Me for B. It's a bit like knowing you, isn't it? Anyway, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Uh, that was uh, that was it though. They you, they kept killing off uh, characters with complete racial sensitivity. All right, you've solved. I'm yeah. gonna watch it. No, I, I mean like genuine, like just completely. How did you even think this level of racial sensitivity? Do you think it's worth you sharing one with me, or do you think we should just save it so I can watch it and we can talk about it? A Chinese a Chinese teenager uses a walk as a shield. <laughs> Oh dear, I hope they were aware of it. Oh yeah. 
That can't be accidental. No. <sighs> no, 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 definitely on. not. Okay, um, do you remember the Maze Runner? I do. I, I more remember the gay porn parody that you, me, and your better half mapped out one day in your kitchen. Yeah. We, uh, we came up with an entire three-act structure for that thing. We, we it had time on our hands. It was incredibly in-depth. We have time on our hands sometimes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> anyway, we'll make that one day. Um, so anyway, kid that hurt himself on that, Dylan O'Brien. Yes. Um, so he's in talks to star in uh, Monster Problems. Monster problems. Yeah, so apparently this is some sort of project. Um, they've not revealed too many details, but it's some sort of road trip type movie. Mm. And it's been likened to both Mad Max and Zombieland, but with a dash of John Hughes. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that. Do you know what? That is the lamest thing. That that this is, In the last, like, usually about 15 years. It's been about 50 years, since the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, since the late 90s we'll go with. Hollywood has deferred to this idea of whenever the entertainment press have asked about anything that has an even vaguely comedic aspect in it, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit John Hughes, yeah. You're like, do you mean people under 30 have a conversation in it? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's not John Hughes, mate. That's just reality. <laughs> yeah. It sounds awful, let's be fair. But, um, you know. I got off for you. Okay, because uh, musical biopics all the rage. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I'm afraid he's got one. So, I mean, I really never thought we'd see that movie. I really never I thought, thought we'd see it. a different movie than oh, what I this did. one sounds like. Right, can we talk about that, incidentally? Yeah. Right, because this surprised me. We didn't get to cover it all in the review. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. This is the official authorised, you know, Freddie Mercury movie. This is the one that, you know, Brian May and Roger Taylor have had the fingers in. Yeah. Yeah, hence why it doesn't star Sasha Baron Cohen and won't win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you watch it and you go into it and you think, well, this is clearly the sanitised version. I'm looking forward to seeing how this turns out. Actually, a lot bit, bit more explicit than you'd think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Although I checked, it's rated 12A. Mm. So Kids are exposed to a lot these days. Yeah, which I think because of the historical importance of Freddie Mercury, and you know, in terms of actually on an educational level, getting mm. that story across for like you know how we used to view AIDS and things like that, I presume that's why. But like, it's amazing how much yeah. our standards have changed in a few years. Hugely, hugely, hugely. Do you remember when, like, having a single gay kiss in a movie meant you were automatically a fifteen? Yeah. And if if uh, you had a same sex couple having off, it had been eighteen. Oh, at least, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, strange though. It's like you don't get many eighteens these days. Full stop, do you? And you certainly don't get many eighteen horror movies. Oh God! And you know what really pisses me off about that as well? What? It's because obviously one of my heroes growing up was Kevin Smith. Uh huh. And one of the great injustices in the world, I always think, is um, Kevin Smith's movies for the first three, I think, mm-hmm. wound up with an NC-17 rating and then chopped down to an R, I think, for language. So what's that? Like Purely for language. Kind of like that, yeah. Okay. But like in America, it's a bigger deal. And I think Clerks was the one where they just they were hardline on NC-17 because it had so much cursing in it. Yeah. But... The thing is, as we crept towards the internet era and we started to see more of Kevin Smith, we very quickly mm. realised that is just Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. It's in the same way that when we're not on mic, I curse an awful lot more. But Yeah. You're bit of a sailor. Bit of a sailor. <laughs> son, of, son of a sailor, son to be fair. Son of a sailor, I Son guess. of a sailor, to be fair. Indeed. But, uh, yeah, it's just a strange thing. But having said that, the film is not as sanitised as I expected. Okay. 
Yeah. There is, though, something I find quite troubling about it. Okay. All right. And I, I presume you're going to see it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Are you taking your dad out of interest? Uh, he's away for the next Oh, week, he is, so, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, he, he'd love that. I don't think I could bear to watch it with him, to be honest. Oh, I'd pay money to watch that movie <laughs> in a seat next to your dad. He will sing every line. Do you know what? To be fair, though, everyone in the IMAX screen did. So yeah, yeah, I can imagine them doing like sing along versions and stuff. Like, absolutely, specifically. For no, no, absolutely. Purpose. But uh, no, the, uh, the <laughs> sorry, excuse me. No, it's you would expect it to be quite sanded down, but there is stuff in there that you just think, huh. I'm surprised, actually, that they've, they've gone to that extreme. It is nowhere near quite as family-friendly as you expected, but I always thought that the the impression they'd always given off was Queen really, really wanted to protect their brand yeah, and didn't want anything particularly silly. But it's impossible to tell the story of Freddie Mercury without certain elements of that story coming yeah, up. everybody knows, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Whatever. Anyway, you were talking about music biopics before we uh, we digressed. John and Yoko. Ugh. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, uh, John and Yoko. Watch that one, I'll be right? To be directed by Jean-Marc Vallee. Ah, Dallas Buyers. Wow. Okay, that was that was good. Boom. Wow. Okay. Like I credit you as being above average on film knowledge, anyway. But that was <sighs> like for you that that that's quite like ten points for me. That was pinpoint accurate. That was boom. Uh, yeah. Wow. I feel yeah. like all these years we've been hanging out, it's like not been a waste. Yeah, but, you rubbed off on me a little. But so, and then wiped after. Anyway, <laughs> so um, Anthony McCartan, who uh, wrote a little film called Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. he's going to write the script. <laughs> yeah, and I guess can't what? Comment on that. Guess what, though? What? Yoko's going to be a producer on it. Oh, of course she is. Of course she is. Jesus. Yeah. That's going to be a film film. Apparently. I wonder who the villain's going to be. <laughs> the, Paul. The hissing villain. Paul. Of course it's Paul. <laughs> Bloody Paul, played by Gerard Butler. <laughs> oh, my God. That would work. <laughs> no, I'm in. Like, Gerard Butler as Paul McCartney, right? (laughs) Hear me out. Like, Tom Hiddleston as John Lennon. Lucy Liu as as Yoko Ono. You got a movie right there. I'm in. You got a movie right there. I would pay good money to see Gerard Butler with the bowl haircut. Because he's got to do it through the years before they even get to Yoko. With his bee-stung face. Yes. Yeah, totally. I'm in. Got to be done. Got to be done. Very pleased. Yeah, so this is the weird thing, though, about this story. I mean, this this can be done at Universal. Not, I mean, the Universal Music biopics are a whole thing anyway. Mm-hmm. But the the strangest thing about this is Jean-Marc Vallée was one of these people who was shortlisted for the Bond movie. You know, we were going through directors, and then we got Danny Boyle, and we went through directors I'm again. I'm sure, like everyone got shortlisted. I think I was on that list at one point. Well, this is the thing, though. He apparently was officially in the running. Okay. And then took himself out of it mm. to do this. Oh, this yeah. is a man who gen- who's, who's you know who's won Oscars and then said, "You know what? I saw the Bond movie. I'd rather do John Lennon." Yeah, yeah. fair. Yeah, can't I say guess. I'd do the same thing, but would you take the John Lennon movie over the Bond movie? Of course, I wouldn't. Okay, good. no chance. I was a question. And I've been changing Bond into a woman immediately. 
Right, what the hell is that? <laughs> Who wants Bond to be a woman? Nobody wants Bond to be a woman. Nobody does. It's just fragile men going, oh, now they've turned Doctor Who into a woman. I bet they're going to turn James Bond into a woman next. Yeah, these are no people one's who don't even realize. talking about it. <laughs> Get over yourselves. Anyway. There was some guy. <laughs> there was some guy on Twitter who responded to something that a friend of mine had tweeted. Uh, some article a friend of mine tweeted about Doctor Who, about Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who, uh-huh. and he re- retweeted with something about how if Time Lords can swap genders, how do they procreate and shit like that. And I, I just immediately responded in that sort of. I'm told it's called subtweeting. Okay. Right, so to, to to my friend, like, <laughs> nerd, Joke, <laughs> jokes on him. Time Lords have been sterile since the Great Plague of... I, f- I looked it up. The Great Plague of Rassilon in pre-Time Lord era. Shit like that. Actually, nerd. It was actually backed up. I googled it. Wow. It was actually backed up. I just spun it into a... <laughs> nerd. What kind of tourist doesn't know? <laughs> 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 kind of but also, it's a ridiculous question anyway, because yeah. if we come out, oh, if they can just change their gender how can they have kids well because the one who's a woman has a child like that's not a hard thing to imagine <laughs> no that's true that's true idiot oh i got one interesting for you an interesting one for you um conjuring three. Oh yeah they're coming back okay they're coming back mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a haunted house tale oh what's no. it going to be then i know right but because but i because the uh, thingy they, the nun kind of did that didn't it the Nun did the same thing as a Contrary movie. They remember me saying it was a like a procedural movie. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's uh, it's going to be a courtroom trial. Apparently, it's going to be a supernaturally based courtroom movie. As in, it's like a like a exorcism of Emily Rose, or it's like a flashback. <laughs> I think I think that's the implication. To be honest, uh, whatever. But, yeah, I wasn't entirely sold on it myself. We all know I'll watch it, but I will do it under duress. I'll watch all these movies. I just, (laughs) I'm not guaranteed to enjoy them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I I try, though. I mean, Annabelle was a real hard push. I couldn't enjoy it at all. I'm I'm lying. I have to say there's that one bit in Annabelle, though, that just every time, which is the bit in the lift. You know, I don't remember any of it. Oh, no, there's a really really scary bit. And it's not scary as in, like, oh, I'm scared. Like, the tension is where she's, like, gone down into the basement and she's, oh, like, trying like to get out. Oh, it's like a storage locker. Yeah, some sort yeah. of, like, storage locker type thing. And she gets into the lift and she's trying to press the button and I think the, the, the door's I remember. closed. And then they yeah, 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 I remember and now. And, like, that bit is genuinely is like, whew. But apart from that, it was pants. Uh, Sorry about it. So... Uh, we are, I think, we are a month off of Wreck-It Ralph 2. Are we? Yeah, so Ralph Breaks the Internet. That's the one. Wreck-It Ralph 2. That is controversy around that too. Oh, oh, what's your controversy? Oh, because, uh, so you know there's been that scene flying around with the Disney princesses. Yes. Um, I haven't know, heard this. Go on, tell me. You know um, Princess and the Frog, Tiana? Is yeah. Tiana? Oh, I think it is Tiana, yeah. Uh, seemingly, they have lightened her skin. Mm-hmm. This has been around a little while, actually, yeah, since yeah. the first, since it first appeared, that clip. Yeah. Exactly. That has, yeah, has Interesting that. to see if they've changed that. Don't put that back before the film, don't you worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they anyway, put that back. I digress. So, um, you may have noticed in the, the, the most recent trailers, specifically for this film, um, all of a sudden, Star Wars is a thing. Uh, do you know, I haven't seen any. I, you know I try and avoid... Ah. Actually, the trailers of Wreck-It Ralph are pretty good about not giving you the plot. Okay. They are, they are kind of 
it's actually only a handful of small comedic bits, bits. comedic bits. Yeah, okay. And there's, and there's a hint of a plot, which is they need to go to the internet for something. Yeah. I forget. I, th- I, I think it's to order a part or something. I don't know. I think it's something like that, even though it kind of contradicts the plot of this movie. Anyway, um, it's out of point. But... Uh, Star Wars is suddenly a thing in this in in the Wreck It Ralph universe. So once they go to the internet, there are stormtroopers, for instance, and Star Wars like Tie Fighters fly over them and X Wings and things like Cute. that. Now it has now come to light that there was one more Star Wars reference in there, uh-huh. and they were asked politely to take it out. Oh, what was it? Apparently, it was a joke. About Kylo Ren being a spoiled, pandering mummy's boy. And Lucasfilm asked, would would you mind taking that out? Why? Yeah. Let's see what the quote is. (laughs) They said, well, we'd prefer that you didn't show him as a spoiled child. You know, he is our villain, and we'd prefer you don't do that. I think they kind of spoiled it themselves by, you know. Yeah, kind of did, by making making him him a a spoiled little bitch. (laughs) Whatever. Ugh. That's, that's the, do you know what? That's the kind of dude who knows what brand of perfume his mum wears. That's what yeah. that is right there. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, let's move on from that. <laughs> Any more news? No, actually, I'm all out. I'm all out too. In which case... Mum in a cage! Did you drop a lot of acid at one point? <laughs> I never made it to acid. I never, oh, really? I never made it I to acid. I think you'd have been okay. I don't know. I I, I was pretty sure I could get there on my own without any help.